Hey there people, welcome to JCB Art Studio. My name is Joanna and today I have award-winning author A.G. Flitcher, the author of the Boone and Jacques Urban Fantasy Fiction Series. He's back on the podcast and today we are going to talk about book three titled Boone and Jacques Saddleton Haunting. Andre, welcome back. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Lots has happened since we last spoke. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, well, let's get right into it because, uh, you know, you've got book three coming out, or it is out, sorry, and um, it's a fantasy, and let me tell you, I'm dabbling in writing a, a fantasy and just trying to figure out what type of fantasy, so let's, let's let, our, let our listeners know what book three, Boone and Jacques, The Sa- Saddleton Haunting, what, what, it's, what it's all about. Well, book three takes place um, three years after book two, in which in book two, uh, they, they are imprisoned by, uh, at that time, Mayor Winterson and his lackeys, yeah. um, somewhere that is far from town. It's actually hard to pinpoint where exactly it is, whether it's in a parallel dimension or just miles away. But essentially, book three is about... Uh, their final fantasy journey uh, before they enter adulthood. So here they're around 15 years old and segregated by by gender by in, in orphanages, okay. but they aren't treated as orphans. They're treated as uh, assistants to the caretakers of those um, those orphanages. So through this uh, responsibility that they have, they become part of uh, the king. So now uh, Mayor Winterson is King Winterson. They're part of his uh, group that are trying to rid the town of this entity that is sort of an amalgamation of um, King Reeve and the dark magic that... uh, that essentially killed uh, King Reeve. Yeah. So as this king, uh, this <laughs> undead king and King Winterson are basically fighting for the same level of, of power and are somehow connected as well as Boone, um, there's a lot of chaos going on and the three of them, Boone, Jack and Shammy, are trying to just get this situation done and over with so they can live a peaceful life and maybe even leave town but there's no way for them to do that because it's such a um it's such a limiting uh, situation in terms of their capacity to overcome it that they have to really rely on their wit and their experience with magic cool okay okay and so I find, you know, this is book three. I, I remember you were on the podcast and I, I've have I've written the date down um, and we'll, we'll get to that um, previously. Now I find with each book, it's, it, it is a different writing experience, each book. And I was wondering 
how has the writing of book three for you differed from book one or book two? Or has it? Um, It differed because I knew that I was trying to grow from writing fantasy, meaning I don't want to keep writing fantasy for however many books I write in the future. So this was kind of like me really seeing how I can uh, not just explore other genres, but also really show readers my level of progression in detail and uh, characters' relationships so that when I do write fiction books that aren't fantasy-based, that my practice has really improved. So the marrying of fantasy and emotions and friendship show this well-rounded world that is coming to a close so that I can make room for a new one. So that's what was different about it is that I knew that once this book was done, that I'm going to start exploring different worlds, whether it's within this series or standalone novels. Okay. Okay. It's, um, now I may take you off guard. Let me know what you think about, I'll just make my comment here. I find I never ever thought I'd write a fantasy novel and just, um, the story is kind of taken shape in my, my head here as I'm working on, um, rewrites for my, my thriller. Mm-hmm. And it's what I'm trying to find out are like, the, it's like with thrillers and mysteries, it's like there's different types of fantasy and I'm finding I'm the fantasy novels I'm drawn to are, for example, hunger games, you know, and so I've been, I've been reading a bit of that. I've been reading yours and also They made a Netflix show about it, and it's Altered Carbon, which is another book that, you know, I'm interested in. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious. I know I probably asked you this before um, with our first podcast. What is it with fantasy that you liked? Was it, like, the magic? Was it just creating a totally different world? Um, what is it that, or was it because of your influence, your reading influences? Um, I think it's not a fascination. It's more of a testing of ability okay. because even though I do read fantasy, I don't really read, uh, read it, uh, strictly in its form. Okay. I actually tend to, to, uh, lean more towards, uh, like thriller novels and um, drama, adventure, and those don't always need fantasy. The reason why I decided to do the first three as fantasy is because fantasy is the type of, of writing that requires a lot of imagination and a lot of research and um, really fleshing out characters while keeping a balance of magic and realism. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. So let's get back to your, yeah, let's, I kind of took us off on a little bit of a tangent there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going, let's talk about some of the characters before we get into setting. You know, you were mentioning about uh, just fantasy and imagination. 
And like I said earlier, you were one of the first authors on the podcast. And we talked about book one, Boone and Jacques Saddleton's Secrets. Now, listeners, if you want to check out that podcast, it's season one, March 6, 2021. So now I'm wondering is how old are Boone? Like you said, this book takes place three years after book two. So I'm wondering how old are Boone and Jacques now and how have they they've changed? How have they changed? They're around 16 years old. And uh, the way they've changed is that um, because they're getting into their later teen years, they're realizing that they haven't discovered themselves yet as, okay. as, a, as a human being. Mm-hmm. So because of, of that uh, realization with, you know, being in prison and not really talking to each other, but having so much time to think about life and what it could be or isn't they've really started to question who they are. So, so Jacques is uh, trying to understand his affection for Boone because whenever he sees, uh, or sorry, when in book three, when he was looking at Boone and Shami becoming more and more of a couple, he was becoming jealous because of the affection that they had towards each other was more, romantic and closer and he could see that it's not going to change and that's what was bothering him but what you'll what you you've seen in book three is that all three are separated and although um at first Jacques didn't like that being taken away from his best friend and Shami as well he took the advantage of being distant from Boone as an opportunity to distract himself from the jealousy. And once that uh, investigative part of him became more cemented and more just part of who he was, Mm -hmm. he had, he had more room to think and, and ponder on how he sees Boone and Shami. So when he decides to test his affection for, for Boone and profess it to him, he realizes that it's not that he is in love with Boone. Mm-hmm. It's, th- it's that he is um, capable of love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when he realizes that um, he doesn't actually love Boone, yeah. he just knows that he's capable of having that emotion. Mm-hmm. that he's no longer this very um, reserved person. As for Boone, the way he changed is that when he saw what his uh, repression for the loss of his mother and father was affecting him, and of course his uh, connection to Shami, mm-hmm. he, he knew that he had to um, really work on that part of himself. Oh, wow. That he, he, he couldn't he couldn't keep re- uh, repressing his his grief and not not destroying his relationship, but seeing that it's bothering Shami that he's not working on himself. Yeah. So that's why I was really trying to understand uh, teen mental development. Yeah. So, for example, there's a scene where they are at the elementary school and he pounds his fist on the. Um, 
on the the garbage dump. Because he was really frustrated and didn't know how to express himself freely. And we don't really see him actually process the grieving until book four. Yeah. So um, really what book three is focusing on in terms of his, his progression is showing the dangers of being a teen without parental or peer guidance yeah. to help him through these emotions. Okay. Okay. Excellent. That's excellent. Okay. So then on the flip side, we have King, King Winterson. And like, he's fascinated with dark magic and power and, you know, talk to us about him too. Okay. So this one, I, I kind of changed course for his own character arc through this, uh, the story mm -hmm. because at first he was just a focal point for the three characters to go against yeah but i realized that um because he's been infected by this drunken power that is not his own like yeah. it's not the kind of power he wants over the town he just wants to be respected yeah but because this uh this energy, this unworldly energy has been um, infecting him, he really starts to change. He becomes, he becomes really infatuated with, with darkness. And it's not that he is, mm -hmm. it's, that, it's that the infection is convincing him that he needs to be more aggressive. So when he uh, essentially forces this connection to break and then Boone in, in turn does the same for himself, he uh, becomes kinder or more understanding of the children and realizes that they can really help them uh, restore peace in the town. So once that happens, he remains himself as, as a person that still wants greed and power, but not to the extreme. Okay, okay. And what you have just said is a... Is a prime writing lesson there where you're talking mm -hmm. about your character you're talking about his motivation but then you're also talking about his change right his growth so okay good yeah because uh what what this entity does the red phantom um it it kind of explores and stretches a person's own like fears and regrets in terms of like their past emotions or past experiences yeah. so every time this ent entity would encounter a person and try to you know scare them mm -hmm. it it brings back these haunting images that could seriously uh traumatize them yeah. and he didn't like uh the king didn't like not being in control of himself okay so when when he saw that this is happening more and more frequently between him and then uh, Boone in turn, mm -hmm. he wanted to get rid of that connection so that he could remain himself. Okay, okay. And it's interesting because I'm finding, I'm learning, you know, the more books you write, the more you learn. And the more I talk with authors, the more I learn. And before, like right now I'm, with this fantasy, I'm, I've got stewing, you know, in, in my brain, I'm, I'm writing notes down, but one of the first things I, now some maybe, 
you know, I don't plot. <laughs> so that's part of the thing. I don't plot. I do a timeline, but I don't, I'm not a detailed plotter. So one of the first things I am making sure, I, I know who my three main characters are, and I am making sure right before I get out of the gate, I know their motivations, you know, like I just, I, I want to know that much about them, their motivations. And then through the writing process, and it sounds like this happened with you, um, with King Winterson, then get to know my characters even more, right? But first I want to have their motivate, you know, their motivations cemented in my mind before I, you know, before I get into serious, serious writing. Okay. Okay. So now I, you, I should have asked you before we started um, recording the pronunciation. Is it Exantia? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. Now she is a transgendered woman of color. Mm -hmm. And later this, like, cause this book does span a period of time. She becomes Jacques' wife. And through her, you show, you show racism, you show hate. And I enjoyed reading about her. And I was just wondering, how did she emerge as a character? Like, I, I meaning as you wrote about her, um, like when I started writing book one about Sage in my series, did Xantia reveal to you that she was transgender? I always knew that she was going to be transgender because there's a scene uh, with Jack where he's um, it's like it's a, a scene before he tells Boom that he loves him yeah. where he's uh, swinging on a swing set in the back of uh, a, uh, the um, King Winterson's home. Okay. And there's this uh, Darian tree, which I'll explain later. Yeah. Um, it's disguising itself as an oak tree. Okay. So Jacques is uh, reciting a love poem to himself. And then he, he hears this weird fire crackling sound. Mm -hmm. And he sees that there's these emerald uh, flames um, in, the tr in the middle of the trunk. And in the middle of these flames, there's this silhouette of a woman with short hair. And he becomes drawn to it very quickly. So he wanders over to the tree and sits at, at the trunk. And the tree's uh, limbs start wrapping themselves around him. Okay. Before, they can, before they can reach him, Daunton comes running out of the house, rips him off the tree, and throws him on the, on the grass. Yeah. So this tree was showing him the potential future mate that he has. Okay. And so... Even though this was just a trick, it made made Jack realize that maybe he is starting to question his love for Boone and who he's attracted to in terms of gender. So when he kisses Boone towards the end of the story and feels nothing romantically, he realizes that he just knows that he can love. Okay. And that and it's, it was important to me that he is uh, pansexual. Mm -hmm. that that Jacques is pansexual so that people see that love is love and that's yeah. why I, and that's why I wanted his wife to be a transgendered woman of color because that's that's two things at the same time yeah. there's 
no fixed gender or even gender roles. Yeah. And she is a person of color and he's just a f- French white kid. So I wanted to show that there is diversity in love and in life. Yes. Very, very, very important. Yes. Okay, great. That's that's a great answer, Andre. And that is so important. Yes. Okay, we're going to head on over and talk about you have a definite sense of setting and magic in your novels. And I kind of have two questions here. Okay, so <laughs> how did you get the idea of mischief detectors and the dark <laughs> trees and also if you could talk to me about the magic because i liked reading about the illusion spell okay so uh well the mischief uh detector it's i don't <laughs> i just had this this image of children running around the house quietly at nighttime. Yeah. And I was like, kids are good at being sneaky. So it would be hard for a parent to notice if their child uh, sneaked out of their bed in the middle of the night, if they were very stealthy. So, so, (laughs) so I was like, I need a visual or something to break them from their deep REM cycle when they're sleeping. So to me, the thing that always makes someone squint and, you know, scream, you know, is turn that light off kind yeah. of thing. So I had the idea that um, these steps in the house had a certain sort of like magical electrical detection cool. for an, anyone getting up in the middle of the night, even if it was a, an adult. Yeah. So when these lights light up, uh, the the caretakers know that the child is getting up and they have to go and wrangle them back to their bed. Yeah. And because it's magical, yeah. it, it's it's uh, it's what allured uh, the red phantom to this um, to the boys' home. Okay. Okay. And uh, what was the second one you asked about? Oh, and the one is the magic it beca- involved with the illusion spell. I I liked reading about that. Okay. So. The, the purpose of this illusion spell is to keep the children very segregated from anything happening outside of the class. Okay. So when we have these uh, red sand curtains that create a box around the children and transport them to the next class, what that's really doing is just making sure that within this time frame of their day, mm-hmm. all they're focused on is class and and only stick and only listening to whatever this adult is teaching them. So the important thing for this illusion spell is that the children are disciplined to only stay within that square, that they don't touch the, you know, void that they're in. And also, I just remember this, it's not an illusion spell, it's more of a partial distraction. Okay which is uh, the the fishbowl head. Yeah. So that's kind of the same principle where they're being put in this quote unquote bubble to keep themselves from being, um, how can I say this, making human connection. Okay. 
So what you'll what you'll notice is that when they're going from the orphanage to the subway to the school, they're pretty much walking together but alone. Okay. So that's that's the idea behind those uh, illusions or just uh, partial uh, distractions. And you know, you could even take that. I'm thinking about when you just said that walking together but walking alone. I'm just thinking about kids and walking with cell phones. You know, you're walking together, but you're not really, you know, connected with each other because you're so focused on what's going on on your cell phone. So that, that no, that's that's just kind of what popped into my head. Just it, well, listening to you, right? It's not that's not too far from the truth. I mean, I guess that's what I was going for is showing that the school system now and the level of technology has really made kids um, self-involved. Yeah, because they they have a hard time interacting with other children without the need of technology or trends and um, schools focusing on curriculums that are basically points point based yeah so that's kind of where i created this whole bizarre world (laughs) okay okay so thinking of its settings i was wondering you we had we had hinted about the darien forest and I was wondering if there was any real setting that inspired the Darien Forest, because I tell you, like I said, I never thought I'd write a fantasy just because that's, you know, I read a little bit, you know, I like the line, the witch in the wardrobe when I was a child. I know I can name a few fantasy type novels, including yours, which I've read. And uh, it wasn't until I started working on the landscaping with our house, with this massive rock that I have in the back and rocks and stones and going to the beach. That's just this, it was one line that I called myself. Okay. And it's not a bad line, you know, and, uh, from that one line, this story idea is slowly starting to take shape. So I was just wondering, was there any real setting that was the inspiration for the Darien Forest? When I was writing it, no. But looking back, I realized that it came from my experience. You can see this on my YouTube channel. Um, there's uh, a story I posted on there about... Um, the time I got lost in a forest with my sister. Okay. And that, that was at um, Mount Chim. Okay. Do you know that place? No, I don't. It's, it's somewhere between Chilliwack and Hope. Okay. So there was all of these like steep hills and huge roots everywhere that we had to keep, uh, we had to keep looking at our feet too, so we don't trip on anything. Yeah. And there was sometimes a lot of quiet periods where you don't hear anything, but you have to be really self-aware because one, at one point my sister and I are just walking by ourselves and a huge dog walks between us. And it was so big that we thought it was a bear. Oh, geez. And then (laughs) as, and then a squirrel runs in between us squealing like a madman and then up a tree. Yeah. So the whole chaos and, uh, not recognizing where we are by the time it became dark because we got lost halfway through the trip. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was supposed to be a two hour hike and we were there for like 10 hours. Okay. So the group got separated and 
we didn't recognize the same trees or paths. So seeing these changing environments and the depth and, and uh, thickness of the forest really um, colorized my, my writing. Okay, interesting, cool, cool. So what I'd like to know, Andre, is with creating a completely fictional world, I'm actually, I thought of this this morning, I'm going to start doing this, is just like on my notebook, have a page and everything I need to know about my particular characters, have it written out already. So for a person who's not a plotter, (laughs) I'm trying to kind of have a little bit more organization. So how do you keep track of the story details? Like, do you have a story Bible? Do you have file folders dedicated strictly to your characters? Um, Because you are basically writing in a totally different world. Uh, honestly, I don't really do that kind of thing. Okay. What I what I do to keep consistency consistency though, is I'll go back to the first book and see if any of the so called fairy tales that I implement into um, into my books, if they are threaded through any segments or installments of my series, okay. and then uh, expand on whatever I didn't really flesh out. Yeah. So, so for example, in Boone and Jack, uh, volume one, there's uh, Mary Kin's fairy tales, mm-hmm. which in which there's a small tale called um, Three Dead Kings. And that talks about the Talbot family or King Reeve, uh, his brother and his father. Okay. So within their world, there are many aspects that I don't cover in book one, not even book two. So book three, when I have uh, Jacques uh, read from an ancient book and then show um, different creatures through different ways, that is just my imagination. Mm -hmm. But the thing about um, keeping organized about fantasy worlds is that the entire world has to be fantasy-based for you to need to do research we're here it's a real world that has fantasy worlds colliding with them yeah so when you when you read a book that is purely fantasy whether it's high or epic or urban country western whatever um everything like every aspect of those worlds is completely fictionalized as opposed to based in reality so for example some of my friends in um, university when they had to do research for the graduation class as an exercise for when they become more professional as a writer they had to do research on on uh, religion classism and uh the different um mythological mythologies that exist in the world and then from there they can create their own world. So really it's about keeping your research material organized Mm -hmm. and also um, having a full layout of not not, not just the landscape of of your world, but where you're going to put your characters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's because I'd say the one I'm, I'm, I'm like, this is like, uh, thinking about I look at 
what I'm thinking about writing and mine's more like speculative fiction or dystopian fiction, you know, like I'm, I'm that's so fantasy within real world. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at. Okay. So did you have any, um, did you, I don't want to say any, but did you have favorite scenes or is there a scene that was difficult to write? Or is there a scene that like, you, I'm sh- how do I say this? There's so many scenes that we enjoy writing. So I was wondering if there was a particular one that just really stood out for you or just, you know, like I say, a fist when you wrote it, it was like a fist pump action happening. Oh, okay. Um, my favorite scene to write was, it's a very small moment, but there's a moment where... Uh, uh, Boone and Shami are are in the in the same bed in a cabin in the middle of the woods. The first one that where um him, Boone, and Shami and Jack were together for the first time in this story, and they had a long day of getting to this cabin, and there's just this little moment where Boone is just gently holding Shami's arm, yeah, while they're laying in bed. There was just something about that initial moment of intimacy that is foreshadowing their future as a, as a couple. Excellent. So I, I enjoyed writing that scene. The most difficult one was um, the, the Boone and Jack uh, love profession. Okay. Because I didn't know how to show uh, Jack professing his love to Boone. Because I didn't know how I wanted Boone to react to that. Yeah. So I thought the best for him is to just take it as is. Mm-hmm. So and initially Boone is thrown off. But when Jack kisses him, Boone is very relaxed. Because mm-hmm. he knows that this is just a moment in the heat of everything. And that maybe everyone's emotions is all over the place. And he just had to, to, you know, let Jack have his moment. So really being careful with how I show uh, homosexuality in a respectful and human way was what I had to be careful with. Yes, I agree. I agree. So is this the last book in the series or did you know from the outset how many books would be in this series? Uh, I didn't know how many it was going to do, but I knew that book three wasn't the last one. Okay. There's going to be a total of five. Awesome. And uh, book four will be out sometime this summer. No good. I'm already revising. I'm doing draft two already. Yeah. Um, it took this, this, the journey for book four has been quite difficult for me. Yeah. Not not just for uh, what to write, but because I was going through something at the beginning, which I'm okay with sharing right now. Okay. I, I actually was just recording a video today for it. Um, in August, I was involved in a romance scam. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, I was underneath this person's spell for like three months or so. And... What I realized after the spell was broken and I kind of stopped being an idiot, okay. uh, 
that that it's easy to manipulate someone through emotion. Mm-hmm. So yeah. knowing that I was being a little too trusting towards this so-called person, yeah. um, I wanted to really exemplify the idea of taking someone's vulnerability in book four. Oh, yeah. So there's um, two scenes I can spoil a little bit for the listeners here because they're very small and uh, don't really, you know, give too much away. The first one is because I start to really introduce a lot more of the family members from both sides, like from from Jack and and, uh, Boone. So on Jack's side, he has a half-sister from his French family. Um, Her name is Coralie. And she used to be associated with this person, this woman, because she's she's gay. Mm-hmm. Um, this woman, I don't remember her name, the, the ex-lover, but it was the same kind of thing where uh, Coralie only had a picture yeah. and a phone number. Yeah. So one day she sees this person in a grocery store. And doesn't really recognize her, but sees that this person wants to talk to or just see them. But she gets uncomfortable. So she walks out of the grocery store and feels this person following them. Mm -hmm. And she sees Jacques uh, at a fruit stand and she tells him to please help her get rid of this person. Mm -hmm. So she goes with him to his car. He he recognizes this woman as someone from... uh, a cold case that he worked on as a detective detective yeah. and the as they're taking off this woman runs to the car and tries to slash at the at the passenger side window oh wow so that's very brief it's basically a um that person's past tale but in the present time boone tells this bedtime story to his son gene um, about a painting that he he made for his son that's yeah. in his in his bedroom and it the painting is this very misty foggy uh forest with a pond in the middle of the painting and on one side of the pond is this cabin and on the other side as a close-up of the painting is a duck and a dog and they're cuddling so uh, the story essentially without saying too much and taking up too much airtime here is that the person living in the cabin was jealous of the relationship of these animals and was kind of like a mermaid where she was luring people to her because she was lonely and hurt. So I I made that because I was like, what if this scammer is just some lonely person that's looking for affection? Yeah. So that's kind of where I went with that. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Are you doing okay now? Oh, I'm good. Good. It, it took me a while to piece myself together, obviously. Yeah. Um, the thing that I will say uh, to, to kind of cap the story, um, even though everything is done and over with in terms of <laughs> my personal trauma, mm-hmm. they're still going at it. They've created like six fa- fake Facebook profiles in different provinces and United States and uh, different <laughs> email addresses and phone numbers. But I've just, you know, squashed every single one and just carried on with my life. Wow. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, be careful. Hey, everyone. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. So taking this up to, to some good news. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you've received awards for your writing with this mm -hmm. series. And I was wondering if you could explain the awards that you've received. Okay. So all three are from the same, um, I guess, company, yeah. Literary, Literary Titan. Okay. Uh, from the States, I think somewhere in California. And uh, honestly, I, I was just submitting it for reviews that I didn't know that there was uh, automatic submission for awards. So um, when I received these awards, I was really flattered. I didn't think that there was that much more value to my work. Mm -hmm. So it was, I was uh, becoming more confident in myself, not just through the awards, but through the reviews that are always positive. Yeah. So it's good to know that my work has value and it connects with people. And recently, actually, uh, I've been doing a lot more interviews. And when I was mentioning these awards to, to these people, they actually started to automatically promote my work without me asking them to. Excellent. That's excellent. That's excellent. Good for you. Well, congratulations. Thank you. There is one more award that's going to come up in June. Yeah. Um, I'm a finalist for the OSMA Award, which is orchestrated by Chanticleer Reviews. Okay. It's just one. Of, it's not the only one. There's different categories and different names for the awards. Mine is for fantasy series. Okay. So um, I didn't know that I could even submit for it because the series wasn't done being. Uh, uh, I haven't finished writing the series but they said i could send a, a part of it so what was so cool is that i submitted this entire series for this award back in september and i didn't hear i didn't hear anything until like march okay yeah yeah and, and you're waiting and yeah well <laughs> well the fingers crossed for you hey for the one that's um you find out in june yeah, there's an author conference in uh, June on June 25th that I'm going to. Excellent. Excellent. So what are you hoping your readers will take away with regarding the human spirit after reading your books? Uh, that it is easy to be tested and easy to break. Yeah. And in, in a nutshell, because what what uh, Boone, Jack, and even Shammy go through is not just, you know, random chaos and changes in life without guidance. It's also, you know, the universe testing them on their ability to keep going, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of being alone or, or having a community of support for them. Yeah. So... That's why in book four and five, I focus on their adulthood. Book four is very, how can I say, intimate, because there's a lot of exploration of not just their adulthood, but also the other family members they don't know about and these other towns and cities that exist that they didn't know about. And in book five, which will be the, the last one, 
it's going to be kind of like the final lesson for Boone and Jack for them to get a kind of like a final closure on life and to really just embrace life as it is. Cause that's, that's, that's the real lesson for the whole series yeah. as a whole yeah. is that life has no order. Life has no plan. Yeah. It's, it just keeps going and keeps changing. And rather than chasing some kind of mystery, just enjoy your life, whatever comes your way. Yeah. Just roll with it. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, but one final thing for, for the whole, for, um, the characters although this series is ending with book five their character arcs aren't really done okay it's it's essentially done for this um this storyline okay. so i have i have stories where uh they kind of show up in passing yeah or they act as a secondary character for maybe like a sliver more of of whatever question and question i come up with to uh answer okay okay cool cool well you kind of just told me what's happening next that was my next question so that's excellent <laughs> well i can give you a specific one okay um so once book five is done there is this book i've always wanted i've been wanting to write but didn't know how to execute it until i had enough practice to do it yeah. so the title tentatively is called red widow waltz okay very different from anything I've done. Yeah. It, it follows this woman in a very kind of French cinema classic style yeah. in terms of uh, presentation, where um, there is this program called Red Widow Waltz that takes these, these uh, widowers through a virtual reality yeah. that uh, focuses on their, their pain and helps them through it in terms of therapy. Okay. And so as she's going through her ordeal, Boone is there as a secondary character for something I won't spoil because yeah. that will really ruin it. Yeah. Um, someone, I'll say that, I'll, some, someone passes away, I won't say who. Okay. And he uh, goes through the same program as her and tries to share his different approach to uh, grieving. Okay. So, okay. Very intriguing. So, Andre, is there anything you'd like to add? And where can we find you on social media? Uh, before the social media, I'd like to add one new lesson that I le I've learned through my process of writing, especially now. Mm -hmm. um, don't make the story about you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a big mistake I've been making in the, pan in the past. And I don't want to repeat that because although it is easier to write characters by implementing parts of who you are. It is not about you. It's about the character. Mm -hmm. And it drives me nuts when I have people saying, oh, I have a lot of pain and I need to exercise that through my writing. It's like, yeah, but that's selfish. Mm. If, if you're going to put implement your own pain into your writing, then it becomes about you, not the character. Okay. So that's, that's why like when you lose someone in your family or friends, if you write at this, at the heat of the moment, it becomes about your grief. Okay. So you have to be careful with that. But for uh, where you can reach me, and it's uh, there's a bit of additions here. Mm -hmm. uh, do, all you have to do is type in AG Fletcher for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now YouTube. Because I'm more active now on YouTube, I've begun begun writing 
are producing um, Stories with E.G. Fletcher, okay. which is stories behind the scenes type of deal for my books. So like what, what inspired my books and, and scenes and whatnot. And also I am um, starting to teach writing too for free on YouTube. Excellent. That's excellent. Well, you're very busy, um, Andre, and I thank you for coming on the podcast. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And I hope you have a, a good day. You as well. Okay, Andre. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.